at what rate, if you know, what what rate of new cases, uh, what number do you need to be at in order for it to be reasonably safe to think about sending kids back to school? Hey everyone, welcome to the One in Five. Adam Renshaw here. I'm with Dr. David Mark and Rebecca Musseter. I'm here, and we're really, really glad to be with you today. This is actually take two. We just <laughs> went through a whole process uh, uh, with take one, and we're glad to be back with you. You we are realized not. We weren't caffeinated enough the first time. <laughs> That's right. So they got to drink some coffee while I figured out some technical issues. So I'm really glad. Um, thanks, you guys, so much for being here, Rebecca. I know you're on a tight time schedule, so we'll just get right into this. Um, we want to talk about COVID. We wanted you as a doctor to um, give us some of your knowledge about some of the latest things that have been happening, particularly related to Bighorn County. Um, can Dr. Mark, can you just start by letting uh, our listeners know where Bighorn County at, is at in the grand scheme of Montana um, with cases, with active case rate, with death rate, those types of things. Yeah, so it's it's, it's important when, we, when we're talking about sort of, when we're talking about COVID and, and how, how much of it do we have, to remember that the numbers that we see on some of the state websites are absolute numbers of, of cases, either cumulative documented cases, active cases, deaths, hospitalizations. So they, they, they give absolute numbers of those for each of the counties of Montana. Okay. But it's important to remember that, obviously, all of our counties have wildly different populations. And, um, and so when we think about the, the, how much of a disease is present in a given area, it's important to make a rate. And if we have a standard rate, which is how many cases per population, okay. then we can compare things like, okay, how does, how does Bighorn County compare to all the other counties in Montana? How does it compare to Yellowstone County, which has, you know, 160,000 people, and Bighorn County has 13,000? Okay. So when we make a rate, we can actually compare these things. And so, so as far as total cases, I looked at the numbers, and I saw Bighorn County as third. But that number can be a little deceiving because it's just total cases. If we look at cases per, let's say, 100,000 people, yep. where does Bighorn County then fall? Yeah, into? so that, then you can make meaningful comparisons okay. between the counties. And, and when we do that, we see that actually Bighorn County is, is a lot worse off than any of the other counties in Montana. Okay. So it's not of, third. <laughs> so unfortunately, it's not third. It's Numero not second. It's uno. right. It's that we have the highest uh, prevalence of active cases, um, and our our death rate is the highest in the state as well. Oh gosh. Um, our the, the rate of new cases though is is starting to, to trend downward, and we're okay. not the highest when it comes to new cases. Okay. Which is which is important. It means that over 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 time our 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 cases should start to, to head down. Okay. Um, so that's encouraging. Do you have any insight as to why we have so many cases per such a small population? Um, well, you know, so that's, that's the, those are the million dollar questions. Why for any given disease, whether it's COVID or diabetes or heart disease or cancer, 
why is one area worse off than another area? And um, and so everybody's wondering, well, what is it about, you know, any, you know, our county that makes us have more cases of COVID than anywhere else? Mm-hmm. And um, there was a recent um, recent uh, paper released uh, in the in the CDC's weekly publication about where they just they published data. It's kind of boring, but um, but they they I looked know. at. I, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say okay. Rebecca, was, that's right up her alley. Yeah. <laughs> so they they looked at they they compiled all the cases of COVID from between January and uh, and July in the U.S. And they actually looked at just the 23 states that, that actually do a good job of, of stratifying per ethnicity and race okay. because they specifically wanted to compare the rates of, again, the, how many in a given group of people. This is, they wanted to compare uh, American Indian Alaska Natives versus non-Hispanic white and just see, you know, which group had higher incidence of COVID. And uh, not surprisingly, the native the rate in Native Americans was three point five times that in non-Hispanic oh. white. So in in a county like ours, where the majority of our population is Native American, our rates are going to be a lot higher yeah. than in counties with lower uh, percentage of the population that's Native American. Um, the next question is: So why why would you have such a higher rate? And Native Americans, exactly. And that's a much more that's a much longer answer, much more complicated. It has a lot to do with history. Okay. Historical trauma plays into that. Uh, issues of uh, socio-political determinants of health, things like housing and access to food and transportation and overcrowding, and all of those things play into why certain diseases. Uh, and it's certainly infectious diseases would be higher than in other populations. Okay. Uh, so, uh, so that's that's a that's a great question to ask, and uh, and there's a lot of attention being paid to that. And and then the question is, what can what can be done to rectify those issues? So, uh, are we? We have three counties where we have a very high percentage of Native American yeah. patients. That would be Bighorn County is one of them, but also Rosebud Rose County and mm-hmm. Lane County. So are we seeing these trends across all of the counties that we serve? Great question, right? So why, and, and the short answer is no. In, mm. uh, in Bighorn County, the rates are much higher, certainly than in, in Blaine County, where thankfully we've had a very low incidence, low prevalence rate of COVID. Um, in Rosebud, uh, it's somewhere in the middle. And, and unfortunately, the active case rate in Rosebud County is increasing through time. So that's a great that's a great observation. In all those counties, we have a significant proportion of the population that are Native American, and yet we have this discrepancy. Mm. One of the obvious sort of reasons why that might be the case is that Bighorn County is essentially Eastern Yellowstone County. There's a huge amount of flow yeah, back, back and, and forth, forth between, between Yellowstone sure. County yeah. and Bighorn County. Folks from this area go to Billings all the time for shopping, for uh, you know, for social gatherings, for you know, other events. So there's a huge amount of flow on the interstate back and forth. Uh, and the interstate goes farther than Yellowstone County as well. We Absolutely. don't have the interstates going through Blaine County and Rosebud County. Absolutely, yeah. And in, and of those three counties, Blaine County is the most isolated, and that's where the prevalence rate is lowest in Rosebud County. There's a big corridor of the 212 yeah. state highway that goes through there, which is, you know, they're, they're constraining the traffic through that. But nonetheless, there's a fair amount of, of throughput. 
So well, and my 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 in laws live in in Ashland, and their big hub really is Miles City. That's where, and I mean it's a it's a dirt road drive half the way, but still that's yeah. where they choose to go. And Custer County seems like they. I mean, they, they have quite a bit of cases, but not as much as Yellowstone, correct? Correct, correct. Okay. yeah. Yeah, so absolutely proximity, uh, um, proximity to large population centers where there's a lot more travel will definitely be a risk factor for, for this kind of a disease. Yeah. Great. So is there anything we can do, I guess? Like, that's, that's where my mind goes next is, yeah. is what can we do to... I'm looking at your graph right now, and maybe we'll get this. We'll get these images from you, and we'll sure. put them on, on the video. Yeah. Um, but uh, what can we do to get that blue line <laughs> down, at least with the rest? Yeah. yeah. Of them. Well, uh, so a couple things about that. Number one is that it is moving in the right direction. Our active case rate is coming down, um, and so these, all of the measures that that um, they're kind of they're kind of simple. They're kind of uh, not novel. But they make a difference, right? The three W's. Yeah, wear a mask, wash your hands, watch your distance. Those things, and, and it, you know, you'll hear in, in some of these, these papers, those referred to as the NPIs, the non-pharmaceutical interventions, okay. uh, which collectively do make a big difference. If, if we can get, enough, uh, if we can get a, enough of a percentage of the population to do these things, um, there really is compelling evidence that it makes a difference. Okay. And, you know, and especially now, as, as we're all heading back to school and going to begin uh, this, you know, bringing these groups of people together, where there's going to be, you know, travel and more mixing of population, the risk factors for more of an outbreak uh, certainly go up, gonna rise, yes. which makes it even more important for, for there to be really good adherence and adoption of these practices, because okay. uh, that'll keep us all, that'll maximize our chances of success. Well, I'm, I'm glad you br brought up school because I, I think Rebecca had a question related to school starting, summer turning to fall. Yeah, well, you know, in a sense, you know, these statistics and numbers don't tell the whole story, right? But one thing that I was sort of intrigued by was a number you mentioned before we started recording about um, active cases and how that relates to, um, you know, whether or not we're going to send kids back to physical school. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, there's been some, um, some experts have sort of, you know, looked at at what rate, if, you know, what, what rate of new cases, uh, what number do you need to be at in order for it to be reasonably safe to think about sending kids back to school? And there's there's some consensus that if you know, if the new case rate is is sort of is under 100 100 new cases per 100,000 population, mm. if that number is under 100 for a week, then 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 it's reasonable to think about sending kids back to school and trying in in person learning. Uh, and thankfully, you know, we are at that number. You know, our, for the past week, uh, Bighorn County has been right at 67 cases. Wow. Um, uh, when you average it over a seven-day period, um, and we were, the last time we were above a hundred for that for that same uh, variable was uh, back on the seventeenth of August. And so that's true for all of our counties. No, that's true for Bighorn County. Mm. Yeah, and and it's true for 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 Blaine County, Custer County, Fergus County, 
but unfortunately, Rosebud has been trending in the other direction. They plateaued over the past couple of days, um, but they 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 got up to above 100 uh, just a few a few days ago. Um, and now they're below again. Now they've dipped back okay. down. So, so it's sort of right on the they're teetering. But they're they're also taking a much more conservative approach to in school in person learning. So on the on the Northern Cheyenne Reservation, they're not they're not going to be opening up to in person learning. It's going to be all virtual, okay. and that's completely appropriate given those numbers. Um, so what are some of the steps that Bighorn County is taking um, to prepare itself for in school? Yeah, well, learning. I, I would say first, the, um, the, the school administrators, the teachers, you know, hats off to them. They are, they are in an, an incredibly difficult situation. You know, this is, this is super complicated, moving parts all over. You know, they have all this logistical stuff, all these safety considerations. And so I, I think that they're really doing a, a pretty impressive and job. There's no manual. There's no manual, right? There's no, they're just... They're sort of, it's not like they're making it up as they go, but they're really trying to incorporate lots of, lots of really super complicated stuff. And so I really think uh, I'm impressed. I, mean, I think we can be grateful that they are really trying and doing as good of a job as possible. Um, so what they're, what they're thinking about is uh, scheduling. How do, you, how do we minimize exposure? Um, there's clearly going to be some kids who are given the option of, of coming and doing in-person learning, and it'll be four days a week instead of five. They will have, you know, kids wear masks. Um, there will be fewer kids in person on campus, so they'll try to, to you know, impose social distancing and good hand hygiene. Um, there's going to be a population that is doing school remotely, um, and so the teachers are going to be figuring out how to do, um, how to have uh, a classroom that they're teaching to, and they're teaching to the Zoomers or those who are who are coming in virtually. Um, they're also trying to figure out, well, what about those kids whose access to the Internet is limited and they don't have that? So they're coming up with ways of putting hotspots on buses, mm. creating mobile hotspots where kids can gather. And buses just going and, like, parking in the neighborhood? or Yeah, parking in places where, where kids can gather. Okay. And for a few hours they can, they can do school that way. Um, it's kind of, I mean, you know, making lemonade out of lemons. It's exciting to see all the different ways folks have come up with to innovate here. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's you know, and they're gonna they're, that innovation will have to continually be, be happening because you know it's clear that conditions on the ground are going to change and they're going to have to adapt and try something different. Uh, I think in the midst of it all, what's really impressive is their, you know, their their real active attention to the fact that a for so many of our kids, being in school is the best place for them to be. It's the place where they're safe. It's the place where they get nutrition. It's the place where they can be, you know, be supported. Uh, and so it's so important for such a, a huge percentage of our population to get them physically together. Uh, and yet they also understand that that can be challenging and that can lead to, to other problems. But they're really tuned into how do we provide mental health care to these kids? How do we provide physical health care to I'm these kids? I'm glad you brought that up because are, is the school partnering with public health or with the Hardin Clinic or with Bighorn Valley Health Center, the hospital? To address some of these issues, they are. Okay. They're, 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 so they're being very proactive to think about how you know. It's not if there's an outbreak, or, or if there's a kid who comes in with symptoms. It's when. Okay. What are we going to do? How are we going to? How are we going to have the capacity to test kids really quickly, to then, you know, isolate, quarantine them, and do the tracing necessary? So there's been a lot of coordination with public health, 
with some of the clinics to figure out to, to do that kind of rapid testing. Um, so they're going to have that capacity to, to, to figure out when, when outbreaks happen, how, okay. where, where is it, and what do we do about it. Um, but importantly, they're also thinking about how do we, you know, for kids with, with mental health issues, and there's a lot of them where kids are struggling with anxiety or depression or just questions about what's happening in life. Yeah, who thought an extended summer break would be something that could do that to some of these kids, right? Yeah. Um, but, but it shows, it really reveals, you, you said it earlier, how important that time in school, receiving education, nutrition, socializing, those yeah. types of things is important. Yeah. Um, to go ahead and finish your thoughts. No, it's just so, it's vital. Like, those yeah. relationships are so important. Yeah. So vital. And when, when it's when that's taken away and kids are in isolation, that can be really tough. And so they've uh, the school is working with, with the health center to figure out how to essentially create uh, virtual uh, school-based care where kids who are in school who need to who are struggling with anxiety or depression or have behavioral health needs they can have a facilitated visit with a provider um, at, at the health center from the school itself. Okay. And, and so that allows for a, a telemedicine visit to occur. And then the, the kids can be shown how to then uh, download an app on their phone. And so if they have to then go on quarantine or if the school goes entirely virtual, they can then maintain ongoing care, ongoing visits with that behavioral health provider. And relationship. And the relationship mm -hmm. from wherever they are. Yeah. And that's, okay. that's behavioral health, but also medical health, because there's, there's some kids who have chronic medical problems that need to have visits as well. Okay. And so they will, if, if they need to access that, they'll be shown how to do it from the school. Correct. If they're still meeting. Yeah. In the school. Okay. Yeah. And it, it allows for the possibility for that, to, for that visit to occur on school grounds uh, and if they're, if they're in person, if they're physically there. But then from wherever should the event happen where the school's gone remote or, sure. uh, or they're not at school. So, uh, so I, I had a couple of other questions. Unless, did you have any follow-ups on that, Rebecca, that you wanted to, to Oh, ask? just that I, you know, I'm... I am excited about the opportunity to, you know, increase the ways in which we're capable of, of reaching our patient uh, population base. So I think that's a good thing so, long term. So this is a very clear partnership between Bighorn Valley Health Center and uh, the school. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Great. Yeah. It provides this lifeline for kids for wherever they are. And John. Well, we were talking before, we were talking about how it's been smoky here in Bighorn County. I don't know if it has been elsewhere. I know it is in Yellowstone County because I was up there um, a bit ago. But um, it's been smoky. Um, we're, we're moving into the fall season. Yeah. We're moving into the, the respiratory um, season for healthcare providers. Right. So um, is it true that we could be sort of getting into a, a more challenging time for healthcare providers as they try to differentiate between some of the smoke-related issues, some of the respiratory, other respiratory illnesses that are going to start to crop up, and COVID-19. So 
In other words, COVID-19 is not going to disappear just because respiratory season is coming up. Correct. Right? Yep. Yeah, we're, we're definitely heading into a challenging time for the healthcare system because, as you mentioned, uh, in the winter, in the fall and winter months, we have an increased prevalence of lots of respiratory viruses, including influenza, including other coronaviruses, including uh, 50 other respiratory viruses that we just know happen every year on a seasonal basis. People are spending more time indoors, where the air quality is lower, where ventilation is poorer, where they're mm. exposed more. Um, and then, yeah, you, you layer on top of that the smoke from wildfires, and you wake up one morning and you have a sore throat and a little cough, and you don't feel maybe all that good. And is that is that a, just a cold? Is it sure. smoke from the fire? Is it allergies? Or is it COVID? And so we're inevitably... Like me, last night. Yeah. <laughs> right. And Rebecca, yeah, too. Yeah, we both had those symptoms yesterday. Yesterday, yes. Yeah, so, it, so inevitably, more people are going to be wondering, what is this? Am I... And so... Our, our frontline providers in urgent cares and in emergency rooms and in clinics are going to be faced with a lot more patients who are wondering, you know, what, what's going on? What do I got? And so uh, what that means is all of those clinical teams will be wearing, well, they'll be assuming that it's, the, that it's COVID, so they'll be wearing uh, PPE, masks, goggles, you know, face masks. And, uh, and we'll be doing a lot more testing wow. to, to decide, is this COVID, does this need isolation and, and quarantine or not? Um, and so get your flu shot and get your flu shot early sure, sure. Uh, because that's one viral illness that you can protect yourself against. It can be taken off the Take table. it off the table. Okay, yeah, absolutely. Okay. That's, that's good news, um, at least about the flu shot. I mean, I know that there's a bunch of other things. I mean, do you have any recommendations? So, so Rebecca and I both yesterday we're, we're having struggles and and so my first thought was this is covid <laughs> i need to go get tested yeah but i i talked myself down i rationalized um hey and i reminded myself of what's going on we've had smoke for five days maybe more than that i, I actually don't even remember when's the last time i saw a clear sky but um i was able to to, to think about that in my head and just say, no, it's probably this. I don't have a fever. Yeah. Um, and there was a couple of other things that I had walked myself through. Do you have any recommendations for people who might start to get that little panic? I think it's a great question because I think that, the, you know, the question is what are some symptoms that might be real differentiators? What do you watch for to say, this I should definitely go get mm -hmm. checked for. This I can sort of Try to relax, wait and see. Um, so you mentioned one, fever. Absolutely. If you're, if you're getting a fever and sore throat and maybe a little bit of a cough, go get checked. If you're having any difficulty catching your breath, you know, whether, whether you have something like asthma or not, but if, if it's just hard to catch your breath, you know, that, that should prompt you to go get checked as well. Okay. Um, if, if it's a sore throat, itchy eyes, you know, maybe a little sneezing or post-nasal drip, Give yourself a little bit, because those symptoms are so common with allergies, sure. with nonspecific irritation from wildfires, or from just a respiratory, a mild respiratory virus, that you, you have a little bit of, you can wait and see approach with that. And, and we, we had talked before, a long time ago, actually, and I still remember this conversation. It was a, a couple years ago when we were having the same issues, and you were explaining to me that, yes, these, the smoke in the air can cause sort of a flare-up, of these allergy symptoms. Sure. Yeah. So that's good to be reminded of, especially 
when we're walking through the middle of a pandemic. Yeah, it could flare up asthma. It can flare up okay. lots of things. Um, I should also add to that list, you know, if you're feeling super achy, your body aches, um, bad headaches that are sort of a- unusual for you, or if you lose your sense of smell and taste. Okay. Then you're pregnant. <laughs> no. Then you need to go in and it's get... It's probably worth going so to get close, oh, Adam. So okay. close. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, you'll need to... That's... Go get checked for... COVID. Worth getting... Okay. Checked. Worth thinking about. Yeah. Okay. Worth calling and saying, hey, what do you think? Uh, the key things that, that, that must go get checked are really uh, breathing issues. If you're having trouble catching your breath, you got to go get checked. Okay. Yeah, and I'm going to just at this moment do a gratuitous plug for anyone who's currently a patient at our clinics um, that the patient portal is the easiest, fastest, most direct way to get a hold of your provider. So oh. if you're experiencing any of those symptoms and you're concerned, reach out to them through a portal message. Yeah. Okay. And it, it, with lots of clinics, there's there are portals or phone calls, but it, it's worth just checking, calling before. What's the normal time frame of, a, of someone getting back to you on the portal, Rebecca? All I can speak from is personal experience, okay. and it was an hour and a half. Okay. That's... <laughs> 90 minutes. Well done. Go. I mean, Quick. you probably couldn't set up a same-day visit in an hour and a half. Right. right. Okay. Okay, good. Well, I think that's all we have for today. Um, unless, Rebecca, you have anything, or Dr. Mark, you have any parting thoughts? Parting thoughts are, you know, this is, we're, we're, we're getting into, we're in it. We're, this is, you know, again, this is a long-term thing, so stick with it. Uh, be gracious to each other. Be kind. Um, recognize that everybody's a little stressed, a little bit on edge, uh, but we'll make it. We'll, okay. we'll get through it. Great. Yeah. Thanks, everyone, for joining us for this episode of The One in Five. If you would like to get a hold of us or have any questions for Dr. Mark that you would like us to ask him, you can reach out to us at the One in Five podcast at iCloud.com. And thanks, everyone, for joining us. Have a rural, healthy day. Thank you.